0: fans and welcome into episode 76 of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast I'm Pete and I'm Doug Doug are you uh, like what are you medium rare medium right now in your apartment how, how hot are you right now oh this is the worst time of day it's like 430 to usually 637
1: the Sun is just beaming in my apartment it's I'm like roasting I feel like I'm under a magnifying glass at the
0: moment yeah it's, it's Pretty, it's pretty warm today. This is, uh, hey, I'm not really complaining, but uh, it is hot trying to record here in this apartment as well. Hey, uh, before we get into, we got a lot coming up in this episode. Uh, but before we get into that, um, you know, Doug, you and I, we always like to tackle social issues and discuss them a little bit because uh, I know we're both believers that. Not saying anything is, is part of the problem. And so I just wanted to start the episode off with acknowledging what's happened in Kamloops this past week with the residential schools with the 215 children there. Um, I mean, one thing I just wanted to ask you with this right off the start, did you learn about residential schools when you were growing up here in BC? No. Uh, like we knew they existed.
1: Um, I don't think any of them were active that I'm aware of. When I was in high school, uh, we knew they existed, but by no means do we know, you know, or were, were we taught that children were literally being stolen from their families? Um, yeah, no, we didn't. We didn't learn anything about it. And I'm, I and I can understand the Canadian government trying to sweep it all under the rug and pretend like. The atrocities and the genocide that was happening didn't happen, and they didn't want to teach it to, you know, the upcoming youth. But, yeah, man, it was uh, really shocking and sad uh, news that we got
0: this past uh, week or so. So I graduated high school in 96, and I know that residential schools are in operation until 96, 97 I, I didn't know anything about it. And I have heard from people who are younger than me that they've learned a bit about it. But I don't think anyone besides First Nations themselves knew the full scale of what is actually happening and, and has happened. I What I do hope is, look, I think there's going to be a lot more of this. We have a lot of residential schools. That's just one school. So I think the gravity of this is really hitting home with a, a lot of Canadians now who, uh, you know, I admit it, I... I didn't know everything that was going on I, it's I'm shocked by it it's horrible and I think Canada as a whole to really get true truth and reconciliation this is where the process really needs to come about and I, I think that you know I always like to think I, I'm, I have my eyes wide open to a lot of things but this has really opened them so what I do hope is I expect that there's going to be more of this that we're going to have to face but I really hope that it leads to Something better down the line for First Nations people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do think it is important to acknowledge what's happened for obvious reasons. You know, I mean, it was essentially a genocide, and uh, in our own backyard. Ex- exactly, and you know, kudos to the Canucks for making the statement they did and for actually calling it what it was—a genocide. I, I've seen a lot of other. Uh, I believe the BC Lions also made a statement, but they didn't use the word genocide. I do think there's a lot of talk and discussion that needs to be had and reconciliation that needs to be had. I mean, it's extremely sad. And yeah, you know, we weren't taught about it. I, I was aware to a certain degree that they did exist. But again, I wasn't aware that they were still operating up until 96. I wasn't aware that kids were literally being stolen from their homes. I believe starting back in what the 1920s, the 1910s is when all this started. And so
0: I I think it goes back further than that. Even I think 1870 was when the first ones in Canada were at least maybe uh, 1920 in BC, but yeah. Okay.
1: But there you go. You know what I mean? And then decade after decade, children being stolen and their culture literally, you know, being ripped away from them and, you know, giving whitewashed names and not, you know, being able to acknowledge their heritage or where they came from. It's just, it's a very sad day for Canadians and especially for the First Nations of this land and this country, but it's a day that needed to be had. And I, I've seen news reports and speculation that there's other schools across the, the country that probably have graves of unmarked graves of young children as well and i i saw a report i believe it was in manitoba uh that they believe that you know they're going to be doing some excavating in uh, one of the residential schools there and there could be more bodies and more children discovered which is extremely sad
0: yeah it's uh, it is and uh you know it's i I really do hope this leads to a better path with truth and reconciliation. Canada, we like to think of ourselves as as a liberal country, as a free country. There's a lot of bits of dark history with, with Canada, you know, you look at with uh, the Komagata Maru boat with uh, the Indians population, you look at Chinese labor on the railroads, you look at the Japanese internment camps in World War Two, there are spots in this history. And uh, this one is as bad and probably worse than any of the others. I mean, we you're right, we are talking about genocide. So, you know, to all our all our fans out there, Canucks fans, uh, First Nations people, you know, we here at the Canucks Speakeasy, we wanted to start the episode off with acknowledging that and uh, you know, just at least on my part is I, I, I want to learn more. Yeah, me too. I,
1: I've already kind of gone a, down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I've looked up some books that you know kind of detail some of the history of the residential schools in Canada and I'm looking to further educate myself on the matter uh, outside of the headlines that we've seen this past week.
0: Yeah, tough way to, to start the episode here, um, but again, we wanted to acknowledge that, and and it's again, it's important to talk about these things, and because we feel if you're not talking about it, and if you're silent, that's that's part of the problem. You can follow us as well on Twitter. I'm at pete underscore gas, and the podcast is at Canuck Speak. Uh, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ven
1: and pete and i continue to build this ever-growing playlist on spotify it's the Canuck speakeasy outro playlist be sure to give that a follow and listen to it on spotify if you need something to get through your work day or you're taking a little road trip as some of the restrictions provincially open up it's a great
0: way great road trip playlist in my mind and how good is it that restrictions are you know we could start to see some lights at the end of the tunnel june 15th and july 1st uh, i might finally get to go back to victoria i haven't been to victoria since october uh, and see some people over there uh, i'm pretty excited about this back-to-back days under 200 cases in the province how nice is that to see
1: yeah it, it you know we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel hopefully we can hit some of these uh, targets the June 15th target and the July 1st target and we can start continuing on with our lives and a little bit of normalcy
0: for sure record-setting day yesterday as well in the province for people getting second doses so we're into that so that is some positive news uh, at least that we got going on as well Uh, coming up on this episode we have a guest again, and I mean it's Terry Guest from Twitter. Follow him at Terry Guest twenty uh, nine. We've been trying to get him on for a while, and we have a really good conversation with him about all things Canucks and starting with the draft lottery.
1: Yeah, uh I feel like it's been a few months since we've had a guest on, and you and I have been trying to get Terry and our schedules to line up, and it finally did, and. Yeah, we had a really great conversation about the draft lottery, some potential UFA targets for the Canucks uh, this offseason, and yeah, we're really looking forward for everyone listening to that interview.
0: Yeah, it's a really good conversation coming up, and before we get into it, I just want to quickly, we're not going to do a full around the room segment this episode, uh, but just quickly kind of touch on what's going on in the playoffs. Uh, Let's start with... A team that's not in the playoffs let's talk about the Leafs a little bit because it would be rude not to I mean that was that was something else wasn't it uh, it's uh it was pretty incredible to see it was like you could you could almost see it happening in slow motion in game five when the Leafs lost in overtime yeah <laughs> I, look we've been through a lot of pain as Canucks fans throughout
1: our storied history uh the Leafs What It's been since 2003-2004 since they've won a round in the playoffs. I do think uh, some changes are going to be made. I don't know if you saw any of the headlines or you watched the press conference with Shanahan, Dubas, and Sheldon Keefe. Uh, Shanahan acknowledged that this team is missing that killer instinct and that some big changes will be made. Whether or not that's a guy like Marner, who seems to be the kind of whipping boy in Toronto at the moment, uh, being traded... I know William Nylander is a guy that a lot of people in Toronto were touting as a guy that needed to be moved on to fill other holes. He was arguably your best forward, not arguably. he He was your best forward. Exactly. In this, uh, in this playoff round against the Montreal Canadiens. So, I mean, I, I can't see them moving on from Nylander given how great he was in this playoffs. I believe Marner's what 17 or 18 goal games without a goal
0: in the playoffs, 18 now. Yeah, and the thing with Nylander he's their fourth highest paid forward as well, which uh they've got a lot of issues. They got uh, like half of their starting 20 guys are unrestricted free agents. Um I I didn't watch any of the press conferences, but I did glance at TSN today, and all TSN was was like a like a a tombstone for the Leafs. I mean, it's just <laughs> Leafs articles all over the place. Like you you wouldn't know that two Canadian teams are still in the playoffs and playing today because of just how much of that is there. And you know you see all the Sportsnet people, everyone picking the Leafs. I just like to point out the two episodes, Doug. I did pick the Habs to win in seven, partially out of spite, but also like it's it was kind of exactly what I I said. I don't trust the Leafs, and if Carey Price gets hot, watch out. Yeah, and you know guys like Kokiniemi
1: and. Brennan Gallagher played big roles and scored big goals at key times throughout that series. And credit to a guy that we talk about a little bit later, spoiler alert, Philip Deneau. Uh, You know, he really shut down Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and, you know, equated himself to probably get a pretty hefty raise this offseason.
0: Yeah, and they got game one going on right now as we're recording. Three other series are going on. Colorado sure looked good in their series against... Vegas. Uh we got the Bruins and Islanders. I'm cheering for the Islanders in that one. And who am I forgetting here? Oh yeah, Tampa, Carolina, which is uh I think that's gonna be a great series. So far so good as well. But Tampa Bay and Colorado are both looking right now like the teams to beat.
1: Yeah, and I do and again, I don't want to dwell on the leafs too much, but I do want to say one thing and I, it actually pains me that I'm about to say this. I do Uh-oh. feel bad for Jack Campbell. I, I thought Jack Campbell oh, that's actually Yeah, you know what I thought he played well. I don't think the loss or the collapse to the Canadians being up 3-1 is in any way. Not at all. I I thought Campbell played well. I mean, you can argue there was maybe a goal or two he should have had. I mean, that overtime goal in game six that Cocky Niami scored, that was off Bogosian and in. Uh, So I do feel bad for Campbell. Um, But, you know, this is also his first year with the Leafs, so he's not, like, part of their core. I do think they will probably re-sign him, and I think it's as good Good as guaranteed Freddie Anderson's gonna seek employment somewhere else next year.
0: Yeah, I think Campbell is actually under contract next year, but their other two goalies, uh, Riddick and Anderson, are both UFAs. It's a it's a long list of UFAs. Um, we don't need to get like TSN here and, and spend too much time talking about the Leafs, um, but that was that was great to see, and I'm really looking forward to some of the second round action. We got Colorado Vegas later on. That's going to be interesting to see how Vegas bounces back, and uh, no Ryan Reeves for a couple games there as well um which uh, out of the four series in the second round which one are you the most interested in
1: uh tampa carolina uh again i really like carolina i really like tampa too um you know i i was hoping carolina would have at least been able to split their home ice advantage with tampa they're now down to nothing going to tampa so that's a little bit concerning for me but yeah i that is the series that i've really liked uh and i've really enjoyed watching even the game last night it was only a 2-1 game i believe and yet it was highly entertaining
0: in my mind yeah that one and uh colorado vegas i think are just you know they could be conference finals uh they're a great series so very excited for those two well, all the four series it's uh some good hockey Going on right now, hey Doug. Let's uh, let's get into this conversation that we have here with Terry Guest. Uh, it's a, it's a great chat. So uh, let's start talking some Canucks here. Let's do it. Joining us this week, our guest has a name that was made for this role. Terry Guest. You can find him on Twitter at Terry Guest twenty nine. Terry, welcome to the Speakeasy. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great, guys. How are you?
0: I am sweating. I feel like I'm on the surface of the sun in my apartment. It is so damn hot in here right now, and I don't have air conditioning.
2: Yeah, it was. it's uh, very muggy on the island today. It was very hot yesterday. Today's kind of that gross sort of muggy sweatiness going on. So, but yeah, no, everything's going well over here. I'm um, just finishing up work, and now time to talk to some Canucks.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, the big news today the, the for Canucks fans at least and for, for teams not in the playoffs is the draft lottery. And the Canucks for, well, it depends how you look at it. We, uh, For me, it's kind of a win because we didn't fall, which is kind of a tradition for us. So picking at ninth, i I'm okay with that. It seems to be a pretty good top nine or so of prospects. Didn't move up, but, you know,
2: we should know better by now. How do you feel about it, Terry? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, going into it, I wasn't expecting us to move up. I think what you said there about just sort of being happy with not moving down was sort of more of my thought going into it. Um, I think there's a lot of different route, routes that they can take with that pick. Um, I think there's a lot of different players that are going to be available for them there. Um, I have a couple listed in terms of like guys like Brad Clark and uh, Ken Johnson, Lee Hughes. I mean, To me, the top 10 is going to be a crapshoot at this point. I think we've all sort of seen a lot of draft boards where you're seeing a huge range of different guys listed in that top 10. Um, It's going to be interesting because I know I've seen some thoughts of people talking about maybe does Benny look to move that pick? Does he look to move down based on just sort of how much of a weird year this is? But we'll see.
0: I was all for moving down if the Canucks had actually won the lottery, just based on what you're saying is because it is kind of a wide open year. And if the Canucks had somehow gotten lucky and picked it in a top two spot trade down and pick in the three to six, because there is that wide range. And we've seen some teams like Detroit, who's ahead of us, they sometimes go off the board and there's a very highly ranked goalie this year too, that some team may do something a little bit silly and, and go for. And I I, I feel like, From most lists I looked at, there's a solid 9, 10, 11, 12 players. After that, it kind of gets crazy. So is there anyone that you think realistically will be available at 9 that you'd be salivating, overtaking for the Canucks?
2: I think my number one player I'd love to see them land is Clark. I just don't know if a right-handed shot, big defenseman, is going to fall that far. I know I've seen a lot of different people – sort of have him all over the board in terms of, I've seen even like Cam Robinson, I've seen have him at number one. I saw a list today from Jay Fresh on Twitter saying he had him at number nine, which is great to the Canucks. But I think realistically the Canucks at this point need help on the D and they need help down the middle in terms of a third C sort of hype. Um, I think obviously you're going to want to pick whoever is the best available at that spot. and I think that's so hard to say this year because of just how wide open it is. I think you're going to look at guys like, like Ken Johnson and uh, Mason McTavish and a Brett Clark. and a, I've even had a little bit of talk about, I've uh, heard about that Spechkoff kid that people are talking about. He might start to creep up in that realm. I don't think per se they should be looking at a winger. I'm also not a guy that thinks he should drop by position. I think you should just sort of look at what you need. But I think it's so hard to say that this year, because you just don't know. There's so many unknowns about this draft class. I think no matter what, they're going to get a good player. Um, but I, I would love if they found a way to get Brad Clark.
1: Hey, Terry, thanks again for joining Pete and I on the speakeasy. Um, I agree with you. Generally speaking, you should draft best player available. Uh, I do think this draft, because like you and have both said, it is such a crap shoot. You can maybe prioritize position over best player available a little bit because who really knows with the limited viewing many of the scouts have had on these prospects how their rankings really are. So that being said, would you prioritize from a Canuck standpoint a defenseman or a center if you had two of your ideal picks? Not let's not count Brant Clark because I think he's probably every Canucks fan's top pick. If he's there, so let's exclude Brant, Brant Clark from the conversation. Would you prioritize a defenseman, regardless of their left or right shot, or a center?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think both positions are a bit of a need right now. We obviously seen last few years what the bottom six centers have been for the Canucks, and they're just not remotely good enough. And I'd also say the same thing about the defense has not been there either in terms of guys like um, Myers and. I know we brought in Schmidt this year. It wasn't quite the fit yet, but I think there's still some room for that to grow. Um, I think if it's me, I'm probably still looking at a defenseman. I know you got Rathbode coming up, but I think think that might be where I'd go.
0: I think this year, I I agree that a lot of scouts have the defenseman really high this year. And there, I think there is going to be a run on defenseman. I can see Jersey jumping on Luke Hughes at four as well. I could see them doing something like that. I could see Stevie Y doing, like I said, something at six and going a little bit off the board, which if, if that scenario kind of happens, there's going to be some really talented wingers left that, are going to be hard for the Canucks not to look at. Like if a guy like Dylan Gunter or, or William Eklund was to fall to them, or even a guy who a lot of people either love or hate is Fabian Lysel, another Swedish kid. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be really hard if one of those guys are available to, to not take them. If there's a run on defenseman, I feel.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think there is a certain degree where you need to, I know like this might be the year that you can say, yeah, draft by position, because that might be the year where you can do that based on sort of what uh, what you guys are saying there about how there's a, there's such a variables in terms of people's draft rankings. Um, I do agree with you. If a guy like Gunther or a guy like, like he, I don't, I highly doubt but even a guy like Veneers or Eklund is there, I think they have so much higher of an upside than some of the other guys that are going to be there. I think you just have to take them at that point. And I do agree with you on, you look at Detroit and you look at their pipeline in terms of goaltending and a goalie makes a lot of sense for them. I know Walstead's a guy that's been really hyped up. Um, it'd be interesting to see sort of what Buffalo does too, because they are also a team that is in desperate need of some goaltending in their pipeline. I mean, they they sort of need a lot, mind you, but sort of a lot of teams in the top five. Um, yeah, I, I I do agree that if some of those like I got their type is sitting there, I think it's hard to just not. I think I think you have to take them at that point, depending on what the Canucks really think they need. Um, again, again, to me, like if Brandt Clark is sitting there at nine, it'd be so hard for me to say to not take him. I just think he has a lot of upside, but. Mm-hmm. You can say the same thing about all these guys. They all have a high upside, but I just think Brad Clark fits the need so well for this team right now that I would just jump on him.
1: Yeah, right shot defensemen. They're, you know, they're like a needle in a haystack, you know, guys that can play at that top tier level. This also reminds me almost of the Pod Colson draft where I don't think the Canucks thought Pod Colson would be there. at was it 9 or 10, I believe they drafted that year. I think they had Krebs or Caulfield as their targeted picks for in and around their pick that year. And Pod Colson was there. And you know, If you believe some of the reports that were out there, there was an internal discussion between the scouts and Benning and the rest of the management group about whether or not they should take Pod Colson looks like it's going to work out the kid does look like a stud uh but he was another guy like you said that kind of fell in their laps i don't think he was a guy they targeted or they thought of and i agree if if the talent is that much like if there if the tier difference is that great where you think no this guy is in a tier or two higher than all the other players available at positions we would more than likely want to draft you got to take him i 100% agree with you on that
0: Harry, what do you think about Pod Colson coming over next year? I mean, I know we're all excited, and we're, we've are we seen what he can do in the KHL. I know he's an extra on the world uh, team for Russia right now. This guy's being hyped up, and as Doug said, he's, he's a guy who I didn't expect to take. I mean, we were at the draft, and we were I think we both thought Cole Caulfield was going to be taken, who also looks like a great player. But mm-hmm. Pod Colson is a very unique player, and for a, a Canucks team that is steered away from Russians – a lot. This is going to be a really interesting player coming into the lineup. What do you think is the best use for him in terms of where he plays in the lineup? And what do you think his impact is going to be right away?
2: Yeah, I, I look sort of to this year in terms of what kind of happened with Hoglander, where we all were a little less confident, I feel, that he would jump into a top six role. And he really thrived playing alongside Horvat. I still think Hoglander may have been better served this year as a third-line winger, but just given sort of what the Canucks have in terms of depth on the wing, it was sort of just the spot was there and he took it. I personally think that Podkolzin will have a bigger impact than Hoglander. I think I know he's hyped up, and I, but I I really feel the hype is real. And I think this kid has so many tools that the Canucks need. I look at him as exactly sort of the type of player that you hope that we thought Vertanen might have been. I know he's not there yet, and I know that he's not developed, and he can't say he is the player that we thought Vertanen would become, but he has a lot of the tools and stuff that we, we were hoping to get from a Vertanen type.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think he plays that kind of hard edge that I, we all thought Vertanen was going to play with. The other thing with Pod Colson is he spent the last two years in a men's league. And I do think that does make a difference. And I do think one of the reasons why going back to the draft, I'm really high on Brant Clark is because he spent a year in the Czech league playing in a men's league. And I do think that really helped is helping his development. And I definitely agree with you that I think Pod Colson will come in and you could say the same about Hoglander last year as well you know, spending that time in the men's league, they just, they're stronger, they're quicker, the pace of plays a little bit better. So they're more ready to make the jump to the NHL where a lot of these guys who play in the CHL, there's that weird rule where they have to either play in the CHL or make the NHL. They can't uh, be sent to the AHL for a year or two. I mean, we saw that with Olio Levy and Jet Wu where it kind of hinders their development. Here's a question for both of you. Do you guys think pod Colson could develop into a third line center at some point in his career?
0: I, I don't, I haven't seen enough of him playing center to, to see that yet. I think from what I've seen from him, he's better suited as a winger. I, I just love the way he's four checks and chases the puck down and how strong he is on the boards for me. I think he's a, he's a winger through and through.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um I think his, to me, his floor could be a sort of a elite third-line winger, and I think he has a lot of top-six upside. I like the idea of what he would look like beside side of Horvat. Um, I think going into next year, he's going to probably – you look at what they have as of right now on paper, and you see that there is a spot for him to take over that top-six role, and you have a guy like – I think we all can agree that Tanner Pearson is better served as a bottom-six winger, um, and I think that there is going to be a spot there you look at Miller, Besser, Hoglander, and I would, I guess you throw Pod Colson in top six at this point. I hate to sort of set a guy up, a rookie like that up to be, have those kind of expectations, but I think the hype is real. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of data already that we have that shows that that could happen.
0: Another nice thing about Pod Colson is he is, you talk about playing in men's league and we we all know how much he bounced around and ice time was issues. And you know, it was, it's a bit of a roller coaster from what we saw with pod Colson and how St. Petersburg was given him ice time and developing because KHL isn't a developmental league, especially if they don't have guys under contract who are saying they're going to go play in North America, but he was saying all the right things. Like he's, just everything I've read was, I mean, you're reading the Russian translations, right? But it's its still, he's saying all the right things. He's thanking the teams. He's, he's glad he's gone through it. He's excited to come here. He's also signing a deal or he signed a deal that doesn't give him an out clause to go back to Europe. So if he doesn't make the team, which I don't think anyone will think will happen, he'd go to Abbotsford. Instead um, I'm, I'm with you as well. I think, I think pod Colson is going to be given every shot to make the top six. And I think he's going to take it because you mentioned Tanner Pearson. That's right now. The only other guy I could see really squeezing into a top six role. I mean, I think Hoglander, Besser and Miller are, are locks in the, in the top six, but that kind of leaves that one spot left. I, I think pod Colson is going to take it. I think the hype is real. And I think that fans are going to see something a little different from this guy from other prospects like Hoglander and pod Colson, very different players, but you put them on a line with Horvat. That could be a lot of fun. So one thing that we've seen a lot of people discuss, and I know Pete,
1: you and I have discussed this on the podcast. I'd love to get both your input. And one of the reasons why Pete and I didn't think this might be a good idea is the lack of depth on the wing for the Canucks. But, you know, what if you go three C of Pedersen, Miller and Horvat, and you put Hoglander on, let's say, Horvat's line with Pearson again. You keep Besser and Peaty together. And then you have Pod Colson and Miller. And then you obviously fill the, the third winger with whoever is available. Maybe Tyler Mott jumps up on the wing. Um, obviously, Tanner Pearson, th- in theory, would fill the second line role. So you still need someone to play on that first line. What do you guys think of that? Do you think balancing out the lineup like that could be more successful for the Canucks and give them more depth scoring in a top nine, as opposed to here's your bottom six, here's your top six.
2: Yeah. I think for me, from what I've seen this year, I like Miller better as a winger. And that's sort of something that I've stuck with for a while. And I just think that he was so much more effective last season playing on that wing. I understand sort of what a lot of people are talking about with this new sort of pairing idea, Where you have those pairs of like, okay, Millers with uh, Hoglander and Borvats with Paws and Millers or Petey's with Besser, whatever it is, and just filling those slots. But I just, you look at the cap space the Canucks have, you look at the depth they have. I just don't know if they just have enough tools to be able to fill those other three wings with. I mean, I know you got a guy like Pearson, you got a guy like Mott, you got some players who might be able to plug some holes like that. I just, I just, I'm not 100% sold yet that the Canucks are deep enough to be able to put a Miller or a Horvat on a third line and be able to roll all three lines yet.
0: I'm with you. I mean, I, I go back and forth with this. I love the idea uh, on paper, how it looks of Pedersen, Miller, and Horvat down the middle. That's a, a legit one, two, three C. I think one thing with JT Miller's game that we saw a lot this year, we saw frustrations. We saw, a lot of giveaways and turnovers you know i know that was a common theme on game nights on twitter was was people roasting jt miller not quite to a level of mitch marner in toronto or anything but it was (laughs) certainly there was certainly a lot of hardship being dealt on jt miller i really like jt miller uh but i think that you you look at his best year statistically was two seasons ago he had a great year last year too he was second on the team scoring but he led the team scoring two years ago and that was playing with PD and I think there's a real chemistry there and as much as I love having the three centers really you need two more wingers to be able to step up into that role to make it effective I mean Doug you know how much I keep saying I want to talk top nine I don't want to talk bottom six anymore I think this year's third line is going to be a bit of a mismatch with Pearson and and whoever else, whatever happens with that center and whoever is able to score that job on the left wing, maybe Tyler Mott. Um, But for me right now, like, man, if you had even one more winger, you could look at it, but I also really like the idea of JT playing with PD again next year.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And to me, I think that there's going to be a lot of value exposed this summer in terms of a guy that can slot into your three C. I think the Canucks could find that piece in a couple of different, you know, there's going to be some bottom sort of sixth value that comes out of the expansion draft and that comes out of free agency. Um, And I think you're going to be able to find someone that could slot into that 3C role and be able to keep Miller up with Petey. Well,
1: that's a perfect transition, Terry, into kind of my Mm -hmm. next question here and about some pending UFAs and maybe some UFA targets. So I've got three names for you guys that are centers, theoretically third-line centers. Free agents. Free agents, all three of them. Now, the first one, who was a guy that was rumored to be on the Canucks radar back in the Gillis era, Nick Bugstead.
0: Yeah, he's he's an interesting one for me. He's bounced around a bit, but he can certainly play. Um, I think there could be value. I think he could work in a 3C role. I'm not sure if he's already hit his peak in his career or not. He might've, but I think for a short-term deal and a three C he could work.
2: Yeah. My only, my only comment on him would just be, he has had a lot of injury problems the last few years and he's been out of the lineup a lot. I do like his game. I, I, I can't honestly say I've seen a lot of it, but from what I've seen in terms of what he has produced when he was on Florida, um, I think he could be someone that is an interesting fit. I don't think he would command a lot of money because he hasn't really had any sort of big numbers the last few years i don't think he would be someone they would have to pay a lot to um i think they can are at a spot where they could take a couple of swings that on a few guys like that on a smaller deal and just sort of see i mean i wouldn't say that uh i was, was going to reference what toronto did with all their well all their depth pieces that they got but we all kind of saw how that turned out so um yeah, turn,
0: turn out gloriously. That's yeah, I mean. it sure
2: did. I was, it was the best way to start a week,
0: I'll tell you that right now. All right, Doug, who else you got? Well, I just want going back to Nick Bugstad
1: really quickly. He is only 28 years old still. I mean, I've you know, he's I think he is what he is, right? He's not going to be a, a top tier uh, offense producer, but I do think. Kerry, you brought up a good point. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, uh, but he is a cheap option that could be available for the Canucks come July. Uh, is free agency July 1st this year? I don't know. It's it a little,
0: it's a little bit later. I think it's like July 17th or something. You okay. said last year as well. And I don't know if this would play into a factor, but he had a cap hit of 4.1 million. Uh, last year. And uh, I know his actual dollar value is less than that. I mean, there's no way he's getting anywhere near that. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of guys this year making 3 million plus who are going to be taking significant pay cuts in the flat cap era. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, he's certainly a guy to look at, I would say. All right. My third, my, pardon me. My
1: second option is a guy that I think the Canucks are probably going to be priced out of, uh, but I think he'd be a great fit in the third line center role. Uh, That's Philip Deneau.
0: Hmm. We all seem to love Philip to know. Um, I've liked Philip to for years. And uh, uh, unfortunately for Vancouver, what he's doing right now is driving up his value. And um, I think he I think he would be a fantastic three C I think that this guy can even be a two C on some teams. Um, I just feel that you're right though. I think uh, he'd be priced out. However, if there's a way to make it work, I mean, geez, I'm I'm all ears. He was just over 3 million uh, cap hit for on his last deal. And I think he could actually get a raise also 28 years old. Um, That'd be great. I'd be all over that. I'd be ecstatic
2: yeah i totally agree with that i mean can we start by just saying like how fleeced chicago got in that deal to get straight <laughs> away to know for a couple of bags of pucks like mm-hmm. yeah but anyways yeah no i agree i think he has two-way games like look what he did against top end talent i mean he played i think i've heard that he played the most at any forward in game seven and he just shut them down um i think as a as a 3C behind Horvat and Petey, I mean, that would just be something else. Um, I think my only concern, I guess, is sort of the same what uh, Pete said there is that you got to imagine, depending on even, you know, Montreal still playing. I mean, he could continue to drive his value if he keeps doing what he's doing. I think he would probably be in, he probably is due for a raise just depending just with how he performed already. Um, but if man, if, if the, if the numbers work, that would be, that would be a perfect fit in the three C.
1: Yeah. I agree with everything you guys said, but I just making the numbers work and my final potential UFA target to play the third line center position for the Canucks is a guy that I wanted the Canucks to actually take a run at last year. And I think he did have a decent comeback year this year for the Florida Panthers. And that's Alex Wenberg.
0: Yeah, Wenberg's an interesting one. I liked him when he was with Columbus. He was kind of that fringe guy. You know, you could expect maybe 40 points or so out of him. Seemed a lot of guys in Florida had a good year. They really did a great job with some of the talent they brought in. Um, I've heard that he wants to stay in Florida, which doesn't really surprised me He put up 29 points in 56 games so again that's you know pacing for a low 40s point total in a normal year Um, and Florida's got the better tax breaks too Um, again I think he'd be a great fit and a couple years younger than the other guys you mentioned as well I'd be I'd be all for it Um, I just think that he again we're we're looking at a cap hit last year of 2.25 I feel he'll probably get a little bit more than that and that's kind of where things get tough for Vancouver
2: yeah, um, I would agree. I, I actually have a bit of a soft spot for him because I picked him up when they had in fantasy, when they had that huge run, and he helped <laughs> me win my championship that year. So I have a bit of a soft spot for Lemberg. Um, but I would agree with what De, uh, Pete said there. I think he has a pretty good two-way game from what I remember. I watched quite a bit of Florida this year. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I thought he also played a bit of PK this year. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I think in terms of, he does, he has shown that he has some pretty good offensive upside. He, he went into Florida and played. I I remember him stepping up a couple of times in the top six. I think uh, there was a couple of injuries or something like that. And he, he has some good flashes this year, of some good offensive talent. And I think the Canucks, I know it's sort of what Benny has talked about, but they they're looking to start to get to a point where they have three scoring lines of, players that can start just helping out the top six and helping out Petey and Besser and Miller. And I think if you were to slot him into a 3C role and have a couple of guys like maybe a Pearson with them or you know whatever other value signing they can find, um, I think he would give them that a little bit of offensive punch. And I think that'd be, I think it'd be a good signing for sure.
0: One last thing. You're right with Wenberg. He actually had a career high this year on penalty killing time. He was used uh, on average almost twice as much as the last season. Columbus averaged two minutes, 32 seconds a game uh, PK. So that was uh, is actually quite a bit of ice time for him. And again, showing that you're looking at a 40 point center. who can play a two way game and is 26 years old.
2: Yeah. And when you're looking at possibly moving on from some of your bottom six guys that are sort of a, PK specialist, if you will, or sort of that's sort of what their usage is. Then you're gonna to need to fight a couple of fours. I know you have Maude already, and you know, Miller killed him some penalties, but I think if you can add another guy that has that PK upside, then that's another valuable thing for your three C.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think Wenberg really kind of proved that and reinvented himself this year. He was a buyout last offseason from Columbus. He signed that big contract after coming off that really, I think he had like a 60 or 65 point season that one year. He Mm -hmm. was taken ahead of bull Horvat in that draft in the 2014 draft or 2013 draft, I believe it was. Um, And then, yeah, he just struggled the last couple of years in Columbus. And I honestly think, and we we've seen this the last few years in, in Columbus, I think Tortorella, You know, Tortorella is really hard on players. And I think if you can't deal with how hard he's going to be on you, that can really affect your game. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw Wenberg really struggle his last couple of years in Columbus.
0: Well, one player I wanted to chuck in here as well, and thank you for bringing in Columbus, um, is Mikhail Grigorenko. Now, this is a guy who's 27, and maybe this is just some old school thinking of me, but it's the Russian factor. And this is a guy who you can get under a million and a half, maybe even closer to a million this year. He's never hit his expectations of being a top prospect. But again, he was in the Columbus system, put up 12 points in 32 games. He can play center. He can play the wing. And and having that Russian in the dressing room just to help with pod Colson. And I mean, I, I pod Colson doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to need a lot of help, but come on, man. Like if, if I was to go in and play in Russia, I'm sure there's tons of teams over there who, who'd want me to play for them. I'd feel pretty good walking into uh, a dressing room in Ufa or Siberia or somewhere and having one other Canadian BC boy in the room, you know, it, it does help. So Mikhail Grigorenko is another name, uh, more of a value well, maybe not value, just a a cheaper option that I think the Canucks should look at as well.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up when we were talking about Pudkos and I was going to ask you guys what you thought about. I've heard a lot of people sort of mention the idea of, you know, is bringing a Russian player in on a cheap deal, like maybe a one-year deal, is that something that the Canucks would maybe think about doing just to help that transition for Pudkos and to have somebody that he could sort of transition his English better and have someone that he could talk to and not feel super uncomfortable um, there's a couple other names. There's one other name in particular for a bottom sort of middle nine guy. I was thinking about, and that's Brock McGinn. I don't know if you guys sort of looked at him a a bit, but I really liked his game. He had a, he's he's had a pretty good playoffs. He's put up some pretty good numbers. He's been able to play up and down the line. He's played with Ajo. He's played with Tara Biden this year. Um, he seems to have he's young. I think he's I think he's only in his early 20s still. He seems to have a bit of uncapped upside so far that hasn't been shown. Um, I think he's not going to be somebody that's going to command a big cap hit either. Um, and I think he would be a great fit for like a middle six, middle nine kind of winger. I'm not sure if you guys have any thoughts on him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen him play a bit, obviously uh, a little bit more so uh, with uh, the playoffs on now. But Caroline was a team I really enjoyed watching. Uh, I think they're just they're just a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, again, I think he could be a great fit. He's 27. He made 2.1 last year. I don't know if he'd actually get a raise on it. He's the type of guy who probably won't get a raise with uh, the flat cap era. He's not a center, but again, we've, we've identified that there could be holes plugged on the wings. I mean, there's a lot of guys on the Canucks last year who I don't think we're going to see again, guys like Jimmy Vesey and Travis Boyd. and, And I think he could be a very serviceable replacement again, if the price is right. Like, I mean, if you brought in McGinn and Grigorenko on deals totaling a 3 million cap hit, let's say, you know, let's say we're, 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 getting a bit lucky with that. And you're using that to retool a third line with Tanner Pearson. You know, it's not quite a top nine, but you're going to get more uh, than this black hole of six forwards that the Canucks just don't get anything from for the last couple of years. And that's, that is so important for this team is having a third line that you know, you don't need two checking lines. I know that's when the, under the bending regime, that's always kind of seemed to be it. It's just like load up. We, you don't need that in the NHL. You need a third line that can score uh, at least maybe every two or three games, you know? And um, I think McGinn could be that type of winger again, He can play both sides as well. Um, and he's again on the same age as Tanner Pearson, right in that 27 range. So could work.
1: Yeah. Brock McGinn was a guy I actually had on my radar as well as a good value signing potentially. Add to the winger depth. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Canucks are going to buy out Jake for Tannen. I think it makes sense. So there is that spot opening up for a player of Brock McGinn's ilk. And obviously, Pod Colson plays a similar kind of heavy game. But yeah, he's a utility guy. I think he plays with a little bit more of an edge than a Tyler Mott, but he is a guy that can play up and down your lineup. Uh, As you guys both alluded to, he can play both the left and the right wing. Um, And I think having a guy like him, even a guy who down the stretch, I have to admit he did start to win me over a little bit uh, is high I thought high as the season Came to a wind. I, I still don't love the trade. I still think the Canucks sold low on Gaudet, But I did I did think Moore's game started to elevate a little bit and you noticed him more. I don't know what it was with that guy, but it seemed like every game he was taking a cheap shot or someone was running him. I don't know if he's like a mouthpiece or something like that. But every game, the guy was like just getting pummeled for no reason. I don't know why. It was kind of funny. But uh, Brock McGinn is definitely a guy I have on my radar. Again, we'll see. I mean, I believe Tampa's up 2 nothing now on Carolina. But if Carolina goes on a deep run and Brock begins a guy that's helping drive play for them, he's a guy that could be priced out for the Canucks. Unfortunately, Gregorenko is an interesting one for me. I don't know a lot about him since his time in Columbus. Um, he was originally a Buffalo draft pick, wasn't he? Gregorenko?
0: Yeah. And I think he's in Colorado as well, if I remember.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think he was originally actually drafted in Colorado. Uh, I don't know a lot about him, but yeah, I mean, having that Russian factor and having a guy that can kind of. Help ease Pod Colson into North America is always good. I don't know if it's still something that's needed in today's game. For me, it's very easy. There's been rumors or speculation today that Green's looking to add to his coaching staff. Igor Larianov, bring him in to help your power play. Perfect guy to kind of <laughs> mentor Pod Colson. I mean, there you go, guys. But Make it so- happen.
0: So you've got Larry Anoff as the GM, you've got him as the assistant coach. Uh you you just want Larry, like he could be selling hot dogs in the stand for all you care, right? You just want he him might in the building.
2: Well Damn yeah. it. I want I want him to
1: replace John Horgan. I mean, fuck, let's get him in. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Is that even a possibility?
0: I doubt it, but still. Uh yeah. I I, I hey man, I'd love to get uh Larry Anoff into the fold. Um, um just going back to High I thought I'm with you. Highmore played better as the season went on. Um he's You know, he may be given an opportunity depending on what the Canucks do in a third line role, but uh, I think he's definitely suited more for a fourth line role. I think they wanted to see what they had with him, and of course, the Canucks were just a a mess of injuries as the season wound down as well. Um, Let me ask you, Terry. Like, there's there's a bunch of you know, we called it kind of the new sea of Granlins this year. There's a lot of guys uh, that were in that same sort of mix. And I'll just chuck a few names out at you. Um, and, and just let me know if there's any of them that you would want to, to bring back or, or what you, you see with them. Like, so like, there's guys like Jimmy VC. I don't really want to lock in Cole Linden here. He, he's kind of a different one, but he was, he was a part of that. Zach McEwen, uh, Jace Howerluck, Matthew Highmore, Mark Michaelis, Travis Boyd, uh, Tyler Graovac, um, I'm sure there's probably more, but those are the ones that just just quickly glancing at the roster that jumped to mind. Was there anyone there that you think is is worth bringing back?
2: Yeah, I think I have a I have a lot of time for a guy like Highmore. I like what his game sort of became. I think in a in a bottom nine role, guy that has got a bit of a he showed he could he can mix it up. He showed that he's got some speed. Uh, I think I have time for him. Is even if he's sort of a in and outer kind of tight depth piece. Jimmy Vesey, I can't say I was very impressed. I know a lot of people are trying to hold on to that goal-scoring upside that he showed that he could potentially get to. I don't think at this point in time that it's going to come. It doesn't look like it's going to come. I didn't like his game. I didn't think he just. I just. I wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed at all. Um, a guy like Travis Boyd. I, Again, sort of same. I wasn't really impressed. I wasn't really – like, there was nothing for his game that I thought the Canucks really needed. I thought – I mean, at the same time, I feel like, you know, when we're we're getting guys off the wire, we kind of have to have some sort of expectations, lower the expectations of what we think is going to happen. Obviously, I really liked what Gravek, how he finished out the year, I think, as a 4C I think he could be somebody that would be a good option. I, it's a bit of a flash in the pan kind of thing. So it's kind of hard for me to, he seems to always do this when he comes up, he has this bit of a flash in the pan kind of thing and then that's it. But I wonder sort of, it's kind of going off topic a bit, but I still wonder if Sudders in the, in the cards is sort of someone they're going to bring back on a one-year deal. And Not that I agree with that. I just wonder if that's still something that they're thinking about. If, it, if he's a one-year fourth center kind of guy, um, but for me, Highmore is the guy. I also wouldn't mind seeing guy like Lockwood get a chance. Uh, maybe Cole Lind if he gets a bit more of a chance. I know Gadjevich was highly hyped up from his AHL time. I I put a little bit of a grain of salt on that because I just worry about how diluted the AHL was in terms of how much of an opportunity he has to score a bit more. But I would still want to see it. You know, I still want to give him a chance, obviously, but. Yeah. See a grab ones, I guess. Eh? <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll say with Gravick, it does seem like he's a type of guy that does have these spurts, like you said, Terry, but then he gets injured. So he's not a guy that's really reliable for an entire 82 game season. And the other one that you brought up. And again, I definitely don't think it's worth bringing him back. Even if it's a short one year, $1 million deal is Brandon Sutter. Look, nothing against the guy personally. I do think he is a better hockey player, than a lot of people think and give him credit for, but it just hasn't worked in Vancouver. You can't rely on him to stay healthy. He seems to have sports hernia injury after sports hernia injury. Um, I wouldn't want him back on a fourth line role. I don't think it's worth it. I mean, there's also a lot of speculation about uh, Beagle and whether or not he's going to be ready for the season, or if he's going to end up on LTIR to start the season, who knows Uh high He is under contract for one more year. So- so Highmore will be back next year, no matter what. I think that's one of the reasons why the Canucks also traded Godet Cause they kind of got out of having to qualify Godet for an RFA uh, extension there. They probably would just send him a qualifying offer. So Highmore will definitely be back whether or not he's going to play for the Canucks or for the to be determined Abbotsford team. I, I I did like, you know, Travis Boyd again, he, he's a guy if Beagle is injured and you want to play that fourth line. C, I would be okay with it, but, um, but it just depends on what the contract looks like and what the expectations are going to be for a guy playing that role. You know, I didn't see Boyd play a lot of PK. And you need you need penalty killers. And I do think one of the issues with the Canucks penalty killing as of late is they get all these kind of gritty forwards like a Beagle, like a Sutter, like a Louis Erickson, and there's no speed outside of Tyler Mont, there's no speed on the PK. And I think that's really hurt the penalty killers because often Times they're just standing flat footed and you got, you know, teams like Colorado with back end talent like Kale McCarr and Sam Gerard and Bowen Byron still not even established yet on that team moving the puck around and, you know, skating circles around a lot of these old veterans. And I think you definitely need to add speed to your bottom six and your fourth line.
0: And the disrespect for Devin Taves in the league right now, man. That's a guy who uh, I've I've got a real soft spot for. Um, he was on my my pool team this year. Hey, uh, Terry, we're we're starting to run out of time, but I just wanted to before we let you go here, I wanted to touch on some of the off the ice things with the Canucks, um, just pertaining to Ian Clark. And the Sedins, it sounds like, a, well, we've been hearing it for a while now. It sounds like a Ian Clark extension is close, but nothing official yet. And same with the Sedins. we have been hearing this. I, I kind of dangled out there. So I guess it's a two-part question is, do you think the Ian Clark deal will get done? I think we all know how important he is to the organization. And then what do you think is happening with the Sedins? do. You, what do you see them or how do you see them fitting in with this organization?
2: Yeah, I think with Ian Clark, I think it's been widely talked about by how important he is. The players have talked about how important he is to them. Thatcher Demko and DiPietro and even, Ar- even uh, Archer Silos has talked just in great respect in terms of how well Clark has done for their game and how badly they want this guy. I mean, even Demko at the end of the year is practically begging them to get this done and just find a way. Um I really hope at this point, given what Benning has said, that the deal is close or getting there. I know there was a lot of talk. Um, I know Kevin Woodley was a guy who has said for a while now that He thought that the deal was not going to happen. And lately, over the last week or so, has kind of toned down a bit and sort of starting to think that maybe this is going to happen. You have to think a guy like Ian Clark, who sees what the Canucks have in Demco and DPSro and c That's that's to be exciting for him. You know, those are some top end goalie prospects that are there for him to work with and groom. And I think as a guy who is who probably thrives off of the challenge of being able to bring in and work with these kids and, and develop their games, I think that's something that he's gonna really want. And I I think the Canucks also value him. It's just a matter of, I guess, at this point making the dollars work. I I don't think I don't think the Canucks are saying they don't want him. I think we all think that they believe that he's a big piece of their of their coaching staff. I think it's just for them, maybe it's just the dollars to start lining up, but I hope and I think it'll get done. Um, in terms of the studies man, it's it seems like every week I hear something different in terms of what they think that they're going to do. I mean, I've heard at one point that they are wanting to have a big hand in Abbotsford. I've heard about them being just advisors to the team. I've even heard as much as them wanting to become the GMs. I mean, I feel like I've heard a lot. I think as Canucks fans, we all understand how much the cities mean to the city, how much they mean to the team, how much knowledge and just how professional and how just good of people they are. And I think bringing them into the organization in any role is something that the Canucks should be very, should be happy with. And I think the fans will be happy with bringing them in and just having their voice in the, in, in the organization um, I'm not sure exactly what I think the role would be for them and what that is and what it should be, but I think just getting them, getting their foot in the door is something that will be exciting.
1: Look, I by no means am not saying that I don't think adding the Siddines to the Canucks organization in some kind of management level won't be a good thing. I do. But do you guys ever worry about too many former players being part of the organization Stan Smeal, Ron DeLorme, I mean, and look, guys Trevor like
0: Trevor Linden, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas Gr- Gredin,
1: and Gredin, it's worked out great. Like, it, you know, Gredin's been arguably one of our best European scouts. But, you know, you look at the Oilers, you know, back in the Taylor Hall days and um, uh, what was the winger they traded to the Islanders? I can't think of his name right now. Eberle. Eberly. thank you. They had, you know, Craig McTavish as the coach. They had... Kevin Lowe is the GM. And I do think at times, and again, to anybody listening, I'm not saying I think the Sadines are going to do a bad job, but do you think that at times, you know, you're, you're almost putting, you know, the players out there that they don't always have the best interest, at least in my opinion, I don't think they always have the best interest on the team getting better, but as opposed to protecting the brand, if that makes
0: sense. I think it I mean there's two parts with this. Right now the Canucks need more voices. Um, but I do also think to go with more voices, they need more voices from outside the organization. Um, I, I think that that has long been an issue. You heard Courtnell's name as well. And yeah. I don't know if that's just Aquilini wanting to, you know, keep his fingers on everything and not have people come in and say, you got to be hands off, and this is how we're doing it now. Um, which is really that's that's my my feeling with it all too. Um But I mean, the Sidians getting involved would be great, but man, I, you know, I would love to see them get some outside voices. And of course, you know, uh, my thoughts about needing a president, uh, someone to act as the buffer between Aquilini and Benning. And I think there's a pretty obvious reason why we don't have that right
2: now. Yeah, I would agree. I think for sure. I I feel like Aquilini almost is just looking for a player, people to come in and just not push him. It feels like, feels like he's looking that's, while you're hearing these sort of Cortinals and Lindens and Sedins and all these names come up, I do agree that there needs to be an outside perspective on this team. We obviously saw just how the season as a whole is just, it was. there's so much. There's just so many layers to everything that happened this year. Off-ice, on-ice products. And I do agree that there is some, I mean, you look at what some of the people that just got let go on the Rangers. There's some pretty good some names there to come that would be somebody that I, and I agree that I think getting a president in is something that's critical for this team right now. And I don't know necessarily who that guy is, but I do agree that a president should still be a priority. I don't think I want this scenes to be that we saw what happened with Lyndon and that did not work for many reasons. And I agree that as much as I, as much as I do want to see the scenes involved with the team, I think that's more of a, I think that could be more of the emotional side of me saying that and not necessarily. Now I look, you know, think about it again. And I think looking at it as a whole, it's, it's almost like you setting the scenes up for some sort of failure in a way, because if they come in and things just go to crap and who knows, I look at people turned on Lyndon pretty quick when all that went down. I mean, people have kind of backed off a bit on that now, I think, but I wonder, I, I don't want it, I'd hate for that to happen to the scenes of all people.
1: Well, and I think you bring up a good point about yes-men. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen Jim Benning have so long of a leash with the Canucks in the GM role is because I do think he's a yes-man to Aquilini. And there is that fear if you bring the Sedins in. And again, I'm not saying they will. And I, I do think they would eventually start pushing back on Aquilini with certain decisions and there were rumors. That's why Linden and Aquilini parted ways is that he started pushing back and he thought that the Canucks needed to take more time to rebuild the team properly and betting sold Aquilini on the fact that he thought the team was ready now. I mean, look, you can criticize betting all you want, but Linden wanted to start PD in the AHL and, you know, clearly betting was right that no PD belongs in the NHL. Uh, But yeah, I am worried about more Canucks alum joining the management role or in some executive role being more yes men to Aquilini and you need someone outside of the organization with no ties to the organization, I believe, to come in and kind of give their input or give their analysis and their opinions on the direction this team needs to move
0: well, we're going to need a whole other episode if we really want to break into the, the GM and the, the head office and the uh, the inner circle workings of the Canucks. We, I thought, Terry, I thought you were going to start listing everything that had gone wrong this season. I was just like, oh, oh my goodness, we're going oh, to we, we're, we're going to I'm going to have to cut you off at some point in here because we could be here all night. Um, also, I just wanted to go back to just quickly, uh, Kevin Woodley was on our friends over at the Canucks Conversation, which I'm sure everyone listens to, uh, Chris Faber and David Quadrelli, friends of the show. Uh, they have him as a guest this week. So I was just listening to that earlier today. Good episode and uh, shout out to you guys, Chris. I hope you are listening to us on your drive home or drive to work because we're pretty slow with getting these episodes out. Um, and Terry, I wanted to thank you again for joining us. I know it took us a while to get this, just, you know, life happens and- And, uh, we, we eventually bounced around and, uh, we, we got in a good one today and Terry can be followed on Twitter at Terry guest 29
2: and Terry, thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you working through my crazy schedule and I really hope to get on here again soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Terry. We'd love to have you back on, man. It's a great conversation and hopefully when the world properly opens up again we can all get together for a game and have a beer and break bread
2: yeah i'm really excited about the idea of maybe a doubleheader abbotsford canuck sort of weekend that'd be i really hope they can figure out a way to make that happen that'd be exciting
0: for sure for sure thanks again terry and yeah we'll definitely have to do this again
2: yeah take care thanks guys
1: All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment, and I really want to talk about one of my favorite TV shows that's going on now. And there's actually two of them going on now. There's the Canadian version and the American version, and that's Top Chef. I know there's a lot of cooking shows. I know there's Master Chef with Gordon Ramsay, and it's absolute trash. There's the Canadian Master Chef, that's trash. Top Chef is where it's at, and right now, especially with the Canadian Top Chef, there are two chefs remaining in the final four, so the finale is next week, and they're both from Vancouver, one works at Pigeon, friend of the show, Ali Butcher, uh, you know, that's one of his favorite restaurants, he also happens to own the owner there, and the other chef, she works at Sinson in Vancouver, and... I used to I work just there. love. Did you? Nice. Mm-hmm. I just love the show. The American one's on right now as well. That's on on Thursdays. Top Chef Canada is on on Mondays. This sounds like, you know, I'm an ambassador or an advertisement, but I, I really like the show. I'm really enjoying it, uh, especially this season. And Kim, who is the chef de cuisine, I believe, or the executive chef at Pigeon the odds-on favorite to win Top Chef Canada right now. If you're not watching
0: it, please do. And Pigeon is a great restaurant. Uh, I know the owner there. Um, an Ali, who you mentioned, that's where we did his wedding reception as well. Fantastic food. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. I know you've been talking about it for a while. And maybe it's because things are opening up, but mine, my free pour this week is also food-related because I wanted to talk about a comic book that my friend sent me called Get Jiro and this is awesome. It's uh, by Anthony Bourdain who is obviously one of my heroes for all his travel and food stuff and Joel Rose. Langdon Foss does the artwork. He does a bunch of stuff for DC and Marvel. Um, This is a really cool book. Uh, It's really well drawn set in the future i don't want to give away too much but it's a great graphic novel called get jiro about a sushi chef named jiro on the outer limits in the future it's uh it's really cool um i highly recommend that a lot of fun Um, And for me as well, like Anthony Bourdain, like I said, one of my my travel muses. Um, I know you mentioned as well Gordon Ramsay earlier. I was going to actually talk about, uh, I started watching Gordon Ramsay Uncharted on uh, Disney, which is kind of like what you'd expect Gordon Ramsay crosses National Geographic. I like Gordon Ramsay, so it's a lot of fun, but he's definitely trying to follow in Bourdain's footsteps. But anyways, get Giro. uh, If you happen to come across a copy of it, recommend
2: Yeah.
0: Thanks for tuning in, folks, to episode 76. And thanks again to Terry for joining us. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And I know uh, once we finished the conversation, we chatted a bunch more. And we know we could have gone on for a while there. It's uh, That's the thing. When you get... Some level-headed Canucks fans together who just like to talk about the team. Uh, it's it can be a lot of fun and just goes on forever because there's a lot of things that we didn't even get into.
1: Yeah, uh, and again, thanks to Terry for joining you and I on this week's episode. Uh, it was a really great conversation. We hope the fans enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, it's just nice to have you know that kind of level head level headedness when talking about the Canucks and this this core's future and whether or not we see this team becoming stanley cup contenders in the next two three years and i think all of us are in an agreement that you know the core is in place there is definitely some some finessing that needs to be done but i do think that this team can be and will be a stanley cup contender in two to three
0: years time I also just wanted to uh, quickly mention, we didn't really talk about him much on this episode, but Karel Plastic signing his entry-level deal with the Canucks. He will likely be slated right into Abbotsford. But just wanted to say welcome to the team. Saw him play at the World Juniors here in Vancouver a couple years ago. Could be something there with this guy. I know uh, Abby is a, was a, is a big fan of the guy and has been uh, saying that there could be something with him here as well. So, welcome uh, to the, the team and welcome to Abbotsford,
1: yeah, again, you know, late round pick that seems like he could be something regardless of whether or not he makes the NHL. You need to fill out your AHL roster, and I'm excited to see what the guy can bring to the
0: Abbotsford to be determined. Yeah. Ah, we'll get that. That's something else to look forward to this, uh, this summer as well. We'll get a name for the team. Let's hope it's not the Elks because my grammar police is going off with, with that one. <laughs> yeah it should just be the elk right that's what i think right but uh, i've heard people say that you can also be elks but i'm just like yeah everything you could have done eh, at least their helmet look really cool but um and it's in again as 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 uh, someone pointed out it's better than being called the eskimos still so um, it is I, I,
1: it... I did i did think the logo was a little bit a little too alike to the milwaukee bucks mm-hmm. logo
0: and the but colors are cool. the green bay packers
1: yeah, but, but I agree it is it is a much better name and I, I I look forward not that I'm the biggest CFL fan but I look forward to moving forward with the
0: Edmonton Elks as
1: their history starts to unfold
0: uh, once again you can follow us on Twitter I'm at Pete underscore gas and we have the Canucks Speakeasy Outro playlist that's on Spotify this track is going to get added on to there as well uh, a lot of good music getting out there
1: you can give me a follow on twitter at doug Venn, and be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at cannot speak as always thanks for listening hasta luego